Hello, I'm Jim Ford. I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Jason Grice. And I'm Lauren Ford. And I'm Corwin Kroll. And I'm Jackie Nodell. And I'm Rob Coffin. And I'm Green Lantern Chip. Oh, and I'm Sean Pryor. Hello. And this is the Lantern Cast. From the ground up, for anyone who doesn't know, you and I actually don't know each other at all. Not a clue. Like, this is, this right now is the first conversation I've ever had with you in my life. <laughs> I was actually going to tell a little story. It's like, yes, I remember the first time I ever spoke to Dan five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Actually, so how did this come, come about on your end? Like, what made you decide all of a sudden, hey, I need to do a show? Well, I used to do a podcast a few years ago for customizing action figures, and it was fun, but with just me doing the podcast, it was difficult to stay motivated to do it. So I've always wanted to do another podcast since then with somebody else, but never could find something like a topic that I wanted to actually go for. So then I was thinking about Green Lantern, and like you said, it's getting really popular now. And I was surprised that nobody else had done one. And more than anything else, I actually wanted to listen to a podcast on Green Lantern. So I figured if nobody else is doing one, then we should do one. And when you emailed me about it, it was so random. It's like, hey, some stranger wants me to co-host a show about Green Lantern. I just kind of like almost flippantly just like said, yeah, what the hell, why not? Because it's a topic I can talk about. It's the one comic I've read consistently throughout my comic reading career. Same here. I guess in along the lines of that, should we talk about how we first, like what brought us to this particular comic and what's kept us here? I would say, why not say what your first introduction to the character was before we go into like what drew you in? The first introduction... For me, it's probably like a lot of people have the same answer to this. It was Super Friends. Exactly. Which I can't actually pin down precisely when I first started seeing Super Friends because that show's been airing and re-airing consistently for however long I can remember. It was when I was young, and Green Lantern had like such a minor role in that show, but he was there just enough for me to remember him. Like a typical show that had him in it would be like, stuff's going on. Green Lantern shows up, he says something, he does, like, one thing, and then they move on. But it was always, like, struck me as I'm like, wait a minute, who's... Yeah, 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 Firestorm, whatever, where's that guy? What what was his deal? He had the, the magic ring that could shoot a laser, and that was basically it, and then he was gone. And I remember back then, like, trying to wrap my mind around the ring, even with no other exposure to anything else Green Lantern, it, it was struck me like, well, there's got to be more to what this guy can do. Right. To make, like, a giant snake or a giant spring or something it's like i could tell there was more to it but i couldn't tell how there could be more to it kind of thing so it definitely interests me and what's funny is like do you remember a show from somewhere in the 90s captain planet of course yeah because that's one that like everybody seems to either they absolutely remember if they've never heard it before but i started seeing that at the same time as i was watching super friends reruns again and so i was being bombarded on all sides by like this imagery of random people being given magic rings that shoot beams of energy that make stuff happen. So it just became like this really, mm -hmm. I just became really interested with just even that just concept. I'm totally on the same page with you on that. I love Captain Planet for the same reason, the whole enchanted rings that mm -hmm. had power. When I finally got into the Green Lantern comic more so, I just couldn't get enough of it for that very reason. But yeah, the Super Friends 
cartoon was my first exposure as well. Okay, the first Green Lantern comic that you read or picked up or, you know, the one that sticks out in your mind, which one would that be? The one that sticks out, I'm constantly trying to look back on, like, my early childhood to remember, like, what comics I read first and all that, and I... I always remember I read, like, a bunch of, you know, Uncle Scrooge kind of comics when I was little, and, like, some. I remember my first superhero comic, a Batman story. But for Green Lantern, I was aware of the character, just on, like, like a peripheral level. Right. Until, I actually, I don't even know if they still do this, but Toys R Us used to have, at the end of one aisle, just, like, a magazine rack where they would bundle together a story arc of something or a couple random issues of something right. and just sell them like that. Yeah. There was one that had, I think it was number 51. It was right after Kyle debuted. It was the one where, like on the cover, he's being held by Mongol and Superman's flying up. And I saw that, I'm like, I remember that. Green Lantern, I remember that guy from Super Friends. That doesn't look like him. And I'm like, well, why not? If nothing else, it might be a cool Superman story. Right. And it was a lot of fun because like i actually got to see him see this character do more than just make like a giant hand or just fly around and doing nothing yes the random punching glove or hammer or something yeah little did i know that if i had gotten into it five issues before then that's what i would have seen yeah that's interesting that that's how you got into it i got into it like around the same time but like slightly earlier and ironically also because of superman I picked up the Reign of the Superman tie-in issue in Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. I think that was yeah. issue 46. Yeah, 46. Something like that. that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there was that Green Arrow issue between that and Emerald Twilight. Right. Which I picked up issue 46, and like you said, it had always been on like the periphery. <laughs> like you always knew who Green Lantern was. I remember. Like, when I was really young, I never actually read the episode, but a friend of mine had an issue with Kilowog on the cover, and it was, like, all Russian writing and stuff like that. Oh, I remember that, yeah. It's, like, it's a very iconic cover. I had no interest in actually reading it, but it, just, it definitely stuck out of my mind. How how old were you when you saw that? Uh, when I saw that, I had to be, like, I'll say, that was about sixth grade, so, what what is sixth grade? Eleven? Eleven years old? Like that? Because I'm just thinking about. Because I'm trying to th- I'm trying to picture what kind of effect that storyline might have had on a little kid. Since like, isn't that the t- around the era where like Kilowogs embraces communism because it reminds him of his home world or something? I, you know, I've never actually went back and read the <laughs> issue. You know, I, I think I actually bought it at one point, mm-hmm. but I've still never actually read it. Yeah, because he's this is going off on tangents, sorry. Right. But his home world was like this hive mind kind of right kind of setup. So like everybody, for the best of everybody, kind of thought process. He had the mind of like, well, yeah, why wouldn't this work? And like he actually like that's where the Rocket Reds came from. He built them for Russia. Really? <laughs> yeah. I did not know that. We're all about learning and the betterment of others here at the Lantern Cast. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, we should probably say the Lantern cast a couple more times to make people remember what the name of the podcast actually is. Let's just, like, replace verb with it. <laughs> we'll be like the Smurfs. I'm, I'm going to Lantern cast over to the other side of the room right now. <laughs> I'm going to go get a glass of Lantern cast. Ow, my Lantern cast hurts. Oh. <laughs> Joining us on the phone right now is Phil Lamar. 
You probably know him from his stint on Mad TV, and as the voice of John Stewart in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon from the early 2000s. So, Phil, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Good to be heard. So let's start with an obvious question. You played a comic book character for five seasons. Were you ever a comic fan? And if not, did the role make you interested in going back to read any? Uh, no, I've been collecting comics since I was very young. Um, I don't even know how far. <laughs> I can't even say when I started. No, I, I was a, a huge uh, comic book reader um, long before I started doing voiceover. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was uh, a joy to, to be a part of. You know, I would always be the one hanging out after the recordings, talking with the writers about, oh, my God, I can't believe you, you know, use that, uh, you know, arc from this, you know, this book and that book, you know. So, yeah, I had a great time. That's awesome. Very cool. So you were a big DC guy growing up? Uh, yeah, actually, primarily DC. I was uh, uh, mostly a big Batman person growing up. Um, and... Um, yeah, so I, you know, but, you know, you read everything. So I knew all the characters, you know, in DC and Marvel, and um, it was, you know, fun to see them use stuff, especially when they, you know, some, you know, did the Golden Age sort of episode, you know, that was right. that was just a blast. Very cool. Well, now I have a question, actually, to uh, to play off that. When, uh, did you watch any of the uh, the cartoons, the animated DC cartoons before you were on Justice League? Um, well, I, I watched Super Friends when I was a kid, um, but I did not uh, watch the Batman the Animated Series or the Superman series before I started working. So I, I didn't know the specifics right. of uh, Bruce Timm's work before I started working for him. Alright, talking about Justice League a little bit, I wanted to touch on something that almost always comes up when fans discuss the show's early seasons. People are quick to point to kind of unexpected character choices on the core team, such as like randomly using Hawkgirl and picking Jon Stewart over Hal Jordan or Kyle Rayner, even though Kyle had already been introduced into the, the Bruce Timm universe, you call it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people think that the producers went out of their way to set up a core team that's as diverse as they could make it, just for the sake of being diverse, and that Jon Stewart was picked because he was black. At any point during the early days of the show, did you ever have the feeling that you were playing the token black character? No. No. It's funny because it was a conscious choice to not have it be seven white people saving the world. (laughs) I mean, Bruce actually said that to me, you know. And it was less about trying to cater to anything then I think sort of what they did a lot correcting the problems inherent in the stuff that they were um, you know in you know using there were a lot of things they did um, and that people complained about making su- Superman we- weaker than uh, you know other iterations of the character like when super you know in our in our show when Superman, you know, went, you know, in front and got blasted by something, he got hurt. He felt it. You know, he went, ah, a lot. And that's because it's uninteresting to watch an invulnerable character. Right. 
you know. Uh, it's, I suppose it's different on the page, although people always play with, you know, his strength and mortality and, you know, all the characters. You know, they're always looking, introducing weaknesses, all of this stuff. But he was saying, like, no, this is the world we're going to use. And it didn't make sense to hold on to, you know, everybody being white. Right. You know, in the, I mean, because it, these characters are not being created in the 30s this time. <laughs> yeah. created in the 2000s, you know. Uh, that's a really um, good point. Yeah. You also mentioned Hawkgirl. I believe that the inclusion of Hawkgirl, um, I don't know if they were initially planned to, because they, they did this thing where they made, you know, all the Thanagarians somewhat Hispanic. And I don't know if that came after they cast Maria because I think originally Hawkgirl was included just so Wonder Woman wouldn't be the token woman. Hmm. Right. You know, which, you know, is, has been frequently the case in the comics. You know, where she, and, you know, and consequently Wonder Woman becomes really dull. You know. Right. And they, they also, um, they, like, kind of powered her up for the cartoon also, I think. Well, they, they gave her a specific personality. Right, which she had been sort of lacking in the books. Yeah, you know they made they made her an aggressive, you know, a woman from a warrior culture, which was interesting because some versions of Wonder Woman have had that, but they gave Wonder Woman the royalty and Shaira the aggression. <laughs> it played out very well in the cartoon. I have to say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing is you know the choices they made. The only thing you can fault them for is. It's not like the comic book. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which, <laughs> I mean, certainly these days, is hardly a criticism. Yeah, true you know, When you've got 50-plus years of continuity to deal with, what is, you know, which part of the comic book are you saying it's not like? <laughs> the 70s? The 40s? 1982 to 1985? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's awesome. Well, getting into the, the character specifically of Green Lantern, you say you were more of a Batman fan. Had you read in the past Green Lantern stories that you were drawn to or whatever? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, because I was... It's funny, because growing up when I did, being a Batman fan introduced me to Neil Adams, and from when you jump from Neil Adams, you automatically go to the hard, you know, the hard-driving hero stuff with Green Arrow and Green Lantern. Right. And, you know, and that stuff was just otherworldly. <laughs> you know, just so good, <laughs> so powerful. Um, and, of course... I was also introduced to John Stewart, you know, right. through those stories. Although he was, you know, a, a, a very different character. Oh you know, God, yeah. Angry black shirtless architect. It was just like what? <laughs> you know, I, I the, the only thing we can really be thankful for is that they didn't make him Black Lantern. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> just, seriously, every other black character being introduced at that time was black something, black Goliath, black Green Lantern, you know? <laughs> uh, black Vulcan. Exactly, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was always a weird one. It's like, well, you had black lightning, why? And black Vulcan has the exact same colors <laughs> and pretty much the same, okay, whatever. <laughs> I guess it was some weird ownership issue. Yeah. Uh, well, what was it like recording the voice of Black Vulcan for the Harvey Birdman show. Uh, 
Well, that was just that was just silly fun, you know, because everything was just you know in my pants. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and was, I mean, literally, that was pretty much most of my lines, and it was you know designed to be ridiculous. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Okay, well we we have to we have to get down some of the basics as far as like how long have you actually been doing voice work now? Um well, actually my very first professional job was a cartoon voice on the Mr. P cartoon back when I was a kid. <laughs> um uh, back in, you know, mid late 80s. Um but I've been really doing voiceover a lot. God. Um, since I, I, I guess about ten years. Is that right? Yeah. Ten years. Yeah, since about the time I left Mad TV. That's <laughs> you know that's how long I've been really really pursuing. But I guess actually no, Futurama started before that, so maybe ninety seven ninety eight. Did you leave Mad TV to pursue a voice acting career career more more uh, no, focused? No, no, no. I, I left Mad TV to get the hell away from Mad TV. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it was very, it was a lot of fun, but just not the best uh, people to work for. Uh, oh, nice. You know. Well, it's Fox. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 not, no, not uh, Fox. You know what? I, I firmly believe that the show lasted 14 years because Fox forgot it was on. It was, oh my god! The Fox people were never really an issue. Oh man! You know, after the. The first season, you know, they were vaguely interested in trying to, you know, set Mad TV up as an alternative to Saturday Night Live. But when everybody realized that Saturday Night Live was not going to go away or get canceled or, you know, suddenly stop drawing lots of people, then everybody started ignoring Mad TV again. (laughs) Including the Fox publicity department. Well, okay, next question. That's kind of a follow-up to that. You know, you do voiceovers now. Would you say that's, like, harder or easier than, like, doing sketch comedy? Oh, it's much easier. <laughs> much, much, much easier. There, there's no latex makeup. Like, on Mad TV, you'd spend, you know, 16 hours doing a five-minute sketch. Jeez. You know, we do a half-hour cartoon in maximum four hours. Wow. And you don't have to memorize it. That's awesome. <laughs> I I realize this probably is probably project specific, but do you feel like you get a better performance out of yourself when you're doing voiceover work versus something in front of the camera? Um, you're right. It, it it is project specific. I mean, I believe that the work I got to do as John Stewart is to date the most challenging and the the broadest and most rewarding acting work I've ever gotten to do. I mean, I got to play action scenes, you know, love triangles, betrayal, on trial for murder, you know, all of that stuff, you know. I mean, and if I add up everything else I've done together, I'm not going to get that much good, good stuff. But some animation, most animation is not as well done or well written as Justice League. You do Wow Wow Wubsy, you're not going to be challenged the same way. <laughs> yeah. 
I was a little surprised to recently find out that you attended the San Diego Comic Convention a few weeks ago. Or was it last week? Uh, uh, I guess, yeah, last week. Yeah, you got the pleasure of meeting our gigantic programming director there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, here it is. It's like, what, three, three and a half, four years after Justice League Unlimited ended, and you're still going to these massive geek gatherings to sign and meet the fans. So this... This must have been a really positive experience for you to keep at it this long afterwards. Well, yes, definitely. I mean, to be associated with something that's great never gets old, you know. Plus, I'm also, you know, a comic book fan and still doing other comic book-related projects. You know, I worked on uh, the new Spectacular Spider-Man series and a couple of the other Marvel uh, animated shows. Um, and actually, we just did a um, Batman um, DVD movie featuring the Red Hood storyline. Oh, wow. Hmm. So I'm sure that'll be out probably next year. Very cool. I don't think they've even mentioned that one yet. I don't think they have either. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't say anything except that it exists. <laughs> it's a Lantern cast exclusive. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We break news now. I love it. Now, as far as I can tell on Justice League, you know, you obviously you voice John Stewart. You also provide the voice of Static and of Steel. But as far as I can tell, that's that's all the characters on the show you were, which struck me a little odd considering how large the cast grew to be during the final three seasons. Were there any characters you wanted to play but never got the opportunity? Um, let's see. Not really. Um, we didn't really double up much with with the major heroes. Um, I might be wrong about this, but I don't believe there was anybody, certainly not of the the main seven, who got to do. Well, I got to do Steel, but yeah, it was very it was very rare that they would double cast um, one of the people doing the main voices as another hero. Mm. Um, they usually would just bring in other people, and we all we all did lots of smaller characters. You know, if there was a henchman or a government agent or something in an episode, you know, I probably did that voice as well as John Stewart and something else. But yeah, no, you're not going to hear Kevin Conroy doing Batman and Elongated Man. Oh my God, that would be amazing. <laughs> you know they. They were very specific about wanting each, you know, the major hero certainly to have a specific personality and a specific voice, and they wouldn't want them to sound alike. Hmm. So unlike smaller shows, um, Justice League would use a much bigger cast. Um, You've got me wondering now about Unlimited, because there were so many people by the end there. Yeah. That I, I wonder, do you know if anyone else? played multiple characters? I'm not sure. Yeah, Jim? I'm not really sure. I think James Remar, well, he guessed it to, as two different characters. Um, he was the Manhunter in the uh, Blackest Night episode, mm. and he was also uh, Hawkman. Oh! Oh, wow. I think that's uh, and of course, those were I think maybe three years apart. Jeez. Yeah, as we're talking about this, 
I, I realize that, as far as I can tell, I don't think I've ever seen, you know, Justice League or, or not, I don't think I've ever seen a show where you voice a villain. Like, you always seem to be, like, some sort of good guy. Have you ever been an outright, you know, bad guy in a show? Um, yeah. I'm sure I have. Yeah, I think I was a blockbuster in one of the Justice League episodes. And I was also was not so much a villain as a boss. In the, the Metal Gear series, I was uh, the character Vamp, who was very, very, very evil. Oh, in the video game? Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. More heroes than not, yeah. Not sure why. <laughs> I, I, got, I got another question for you, Phil. Can I call you, Phil? Uh-huh. You may, please do. <laughs> I, I've probably been calling you, Phil, for like the whole can entire interview. Can I start talking shit? No, please, call me Bill. <laughs> <laughs> as far as, you know, playing two characters because they wanted everybody to have their own specific voice. Just looking at some of the some of the things that you've done, like you've displayed such like incredible diversity as far as like uh, Hermes from Futurama, Static from Static Shock, and oh my God, it's like you know how, how do you go from a Static to a Hermes to uh, Samurai Jack? Samurai Jack, <laughs> I mean really. It's all just, um, you know, looking at the, you, hopefully you, they have designs and, you know, listening to the writer's ideas and just finding a voice. I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I have a pretty middle range voice myself, um, so I can go up or down fairly uh, easily. Although I have to say, there was a while there where we were doing static shock at nine in the morning and it's i mean you guys know how it is your your voice when you wake up in the morning is lower (laughs) so like being a 14 year old at 9 a.m is a whole lot harder than being a 14 year old at 2 p.m you know and i kept begging them like can't we do afternoons (laughs) you know hey god you know oh my god trying (laughs) it up (laughs) oh that's so cool The blackest night falls from the skies. The darkness grows as all light dies. We crave your hearts and your demise. By my black hand, the dead shall rise. Very good. Now we like a zombie. (laughs) Brains! (laughs) (laughs) That is how they read. Uh, What are we doing again? Okay, well... Just before we were set to record on, what was it, Friday? Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, I put up a post on the forum, like, a couple hours beforehand, saying that anybody that had any questions that they wanted answered by the Lanternologist, or any topics that they could come up with for us to talk about, then to post it up, and we would answer it for them. And then we didn't record that night, thanks to you. Shut up. So, there was a new deadline, which allowed many more people to post up suggestions and questions and whatnot, and we are going to now answer those questions. Mm-hmm. So. Want to alternate? Sure. All you right. Want to go first? 
Yeah, the first one is from Saber Drake. It's still, I still say that name kicks ass. Yes. I noticed in Sinestro Corps War Volume 2, the splash page featuring all the various cores at war. The Indigo Tribe has a Green Lantern underneath his open palm, and the symbol for Indigo Tribe is enveloping him. The Green Lantern is the, you know, air quotes, circle, and the up and down arrows are top and bottom of the Green Lantern. I'm thinking it's not a good thing. Perhaps the Green Lantern is being affected involuntarily. What do you guys think? Shall I go yeah. first? Oh, yeah, go ahead. I I think it's definitely a good thing. I think that they're showing compassion and just, like, healing the people that are, you know, knocked out on the battlefield. I actually think it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> really? Yeah, because I forget where it was said, but they're, like, deliberately waiting to show... No, they're waiting until Blackest Night starts to show us the Indigo Tribe for the first time. I mean, other than, you know, in this group shot or in, in like, a little panel here or there or or in, like, a, the almost secret files thing we got in the Blackest Night Zero. And if it was going to be this, this profoundly positive force, I don't think they would have waited this long for that one in particular. I mean... I think compassion is going to be more neutral in that, yeah, all right, maybe they will go around healing some people, but I think they're also going to be performing a lot of, like, mercy killings. Oh, well, well, first, yeah, first off, I think it's important to say that the the page that he's talking about is uh, Green Lantern 25. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have the, the spread open right now. Yeah, I had it open on Friday. Yeah, yeah, that, that's great. How'd that work out for you? Yeah, it worked out really good. Yeah, that that's an interesting point, actually. And if it follows with my theory that the whole Indigo is based off of the Mother Mercy, then he may actually be onto something as far as the Mother Mercy plant would hook up to people and basically just show them images and, like, you know, what a perfect life would be. That was what a Mother Mercy, you know, was originally for. And then you would die, but you would die in, like, uh, like at the happiest state possible. Yeah. So so what you're saying, what he's saying, it does kind of make sense. But by the same token, what you're saying as far as them waiting so long to introduce the Indigo, I think that also backs up the idea that if they are a helpful core and they are out to basically save everybody and, you know, have compassion and mercy for everybody, then you would want to introduce them as late as possible so that they don't end up, like, saving everybody before the really bad stuff starts happening. True, true. You know, you want to wait for those, you know, wait until everything's at its absolute darkest before you send in, like, you know, the hospital crew to start healing people yeah part of me thinks that a lot of this is going to depend on how how big picture oriented the indigos are because i mean if you're just going around helping those in immediate need then you're focused on the here and now the small picture but if your focus is on showing compassion to the to you know the larger whole of the universe then you know it's it's not in anyone's best interest to 
allow the battle to keep going. You know and what? And the more the more soldiers you heal, the longer it'll keep going. I'm going to stop you right there because I just realized that the point of Indigo and them showing compassion, you know, if they're out to heal people, then that actually would make the most sense because if you if you you know perform a mercy killing, then that person's going to die. All of a sudden, that makes them a prime candidate for Black Lantern. So maybe Indigo, they're holding off on using them because their whole job is going to be saving lives so that people don't become Black Lanterns and to prevent the Black Lantern core from increasing in size. Hmm. That does make you wonder, though, like, why haven't they been doing that already? Probably because they're still getting set up. Maybe. I mean, Blue's only got, like, what, four members now? Four or five. As of as of what we saw in Blackest Night Zero on that one page, I think there was... No, maybe there was only four. I want to say five, though. Right. Hmm. I don't know, I just... I'm, until I see otherwise, I'm hanging on to this idea that there's going to be some kind of negative slant on them. Well, one more thing that I'll add, and then we can go on to the next, uh, next topic. Hmm. If there is no negative aspect to them, obviously with hope, hope doesn't really have a negative aspect, and and love doesn't really have much of a negative aspect either. You know, compassion being right in there, that's like the creative side, like I was saying, with my theory of heading towards the white and heading towards the black on the emotional spectrum. Oh, hope and love can have negative aspects. Well, yeah, but we haven't seen them, like, actually, you know, trying to have trying to do anything negative yet. Mm, yet. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we will. <laughs> My turn. Let's see. Oh, Starth... Um, is it? Yeah, Starth Knight. Starth okay, Knight. A, a topic to discuss. Isn't it too bad that the Green Lanterns are no longer affected by the Yellow Impurity? Because I would love to see Dexstar during a fight urinate on Hal as an offensive get it offensive tactic but that maybe just me i like it next <laughs> <laughs> yes well the only thing is how would just have to get over his fear of being urinated on by dexstar oh wait no this he's saying before the yellow impurity was kind of taken out i think you're overthinking it a little bit <laughs> wouldn't just... it be awesome his question is, wouldn't it be awesome if a cat peed on Hal and there's nothing he could do about it? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Yes, it would. Joining us on the phone tonight is actor, voice actor Chris Maloney. You probably better know him as Detective Elliot Sabler on Law & Order Special Victims Unit. But he's now, well, he's going to be known as the voice of Hal Jordan in the DC movie Green Lantern First Flight. Chris, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. We've learned that you have a zip line in your backyard and that you've been skydiving. Yeah. Do these experiences help you when you're playing a character who can, you know, not only fly, but is essentially supposed to be fearless? Well said. You know what actually helps? And I do mean this. Water skiing. <laughs> really? <laughs> 
Yes, because, you know, it's the perfect blend of fearlessness and uh, a sense of zen and focus and danger, even though you're not fighting against somebody, but it's, you know, it really is an internal struggle to, to fight against your fears. You're ripping across the wake. Huh. Never even thought about that. Very yeah, I doubt many people have. Yeah, I mean, it's really, a, it's, it's a bit esoteric. But, uh, you know, I just love water skiing. Do you go often? Uh, not as much as I'd like, but you know, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I just, uh, I ripped a couple sets this weekend. Wow. I'm much too chicken to even try that. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> but you got to love it. Uh, one last question, one final question, and that'll be it. Yeah. While you were recording this, did any, like, crazy stories happen or anything like that that you're going to remember for the rest of your life as, okay, this is what happened while I was recording for Hal Jordan? Um, I wouldn't say crazy or anything like that, but I, I will say that, you know, the amount of trouble that Hal Jordan gets in, uh, there were an awful lot of, oh, I mean, I've never had to grunt, and and they all have their own nuance. I mean, the producer, going, no, I, need, I need a little more breath. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and it's tough to do it when the fight scene hasn't, hasn't been animated for you. Oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, you know, I, and I actually had to go back in and record extra fight scene <laughs> stuff. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just kind of interesting. You know, it was good. That's great. That That is something that I guarantee everyone listening has taken for granted, thinking, like, oh, a grunt is just a grunt. Wow. No, a grunt is never just a grunt. <laughs> It'd be the title of this piece. We, yeah, we, we might just do that. <laughs> a grunt is never just a grunt. I call this meeting of the cores to order. Atrocitus has the first order of business. Thank you, Saint Walker. I demand the blood of Hal Jordan and Sinestro. For crying out loud, this brainless oaf demands our blood every time we meet. Enough already! Oh, come on, Sinestro. Just because I have a clear goal that I stick to doesn't mean that I'm not also an erudite thinker. That really hurts my feelings. Also, I demand your blood. And Al Jordan's. Let's move on to our next order of business. Larflees? Mine! Right. Okay then. Next we have the Earth representative from the Indigo tribe. Dan Kurtzky. I still don't understand why I was picked for Indigo. I would have thought Blue Lantern for sure. While it's true you do possess great hope, you possess great compassion as well. Also, you enjoy killing people. I knew those past mercy killings would come back to haunt me. Ha! Yes. Mercy killings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my. Carol Ferris of the Star Sapphires. I believe you had an order of business. Hi, Carol. Not now, Hal. That friggin' rage cat keeps pissing fire on my lawn. You know what smells worse than fiery cat piss? Nothing. Meow. Not me. I'd never do that. Keep it up. Keep it up, and I'll neuter you. 
And thankfully, the final order of business from Black Lantern Chip. Brains. Brains. We should be using our brains and use our symbols on different products. T-shirts, belt buckles, mugs, hats, mouse pads. Did someone say mouse? Not now, Dexter. Go on, Chip. I like this idea. Well, with the money we make from merchandising, we could afford a nicer meeting table, comfier chairs, and maybe even snacks. Fantastic. All in favor? Aye. Terrific. I have high hopes for this plan. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking with Mr. Howard Chaikin, the creator of American Flag, uh, artist on Hawk Girl. He's worked behind the scenes on the Flash television show and Mutant X. Uh, how you doing, Mr. Chaikin? I'm terrific. How about you? I am fantastic. Uh, right now, we're going to talk about the Guy Gardner collateral damage book that you did. Terrific. Okay. So I guess the first most important question is, how did this book come about? Like, who originated the idea? Well, Dan DiDio has always liked the cover I did some years back of, of, of a guy giving, you know, sort of giving the bird to the reader. And he felt that that caught the character most as, as effectively as, as any story he'd ever read. So he asked me to come on and do the book. I was really delighted because I love the character. Uh, I always have. I mean, I, I go back to when, you know, to Gil Kane's original version of that character. Right. And, um, you know, so I, I, was, I jumped at the opportunity. I thought it was a lot of fun. I had a great time with it. I, lo I, love, I love the character of Guy Gardner. Okay. Now, like, where, did you come up with this concept around the time that it was published, or was it, like, you know, in advance or, you know, continuity-wise? Like, how about that? Well, I, I, don't, I don't really recall. I mean, it was uh, – it, it, it happened – I mean, I, I pitched it. They asked me to do it. I pitched the concept. They went for the concept, and that was about it. I don't, I don't quite remember where it stood in continuity, per se. Right. Okay. Now, you say you're a fan of Guy Gardner as a character. How about, like, the later storylines as far as, like, because you involved a story thread with the Valdarians? I, I thought that stuff was horseshit. <laughs> um, I really hated it. Uh, but I felt it was fun to, to sort of, like, you know, dismantle and rebuild it. Right. I mean, I have to say that I, I love the character, but I don't like the fact that the character is often portrayed as an idiot. I don't right. believe the guy is an idiot. I think he's if – I, if I had anybody I would, I would identify as, a, as Guy Garner to play the guy in the movie, and I mean this as much as anything else spiritually as physically, right. it, would, it would be Dennis Leary. I could see that. You know, Um because people, people tend to portray Guy as a moron, and I don't think he's a fool. I think he's a, a fairly complex, fairly smart, shrewd guy who's got, you know, an attitude problem and issues, you know? Gotcha. Um, but I, cer I certainly don't regard him as an idiot, and he's frequently portrayed as such. Okay, so now you didn't like the Valdarian concept. No, I, I, I thought that was just, you know, real 80s stuff that, that didn't really, it felt a little overcomplicated and nonsensical. I, I, and I apologize to anybody who still worked on it and who still listened to this, but, you know, that's just the way it was. Oh, no, I, I appreciate the honesty. Now, but, but you also kind of leave like a back door in there with the urn of all their DNA, so I guess if somebody wanted to pick up on that, they still could? Absolutely. That's, that's good. I, I would think that, I mean, that, that, that's right on the money, yeah. Right. Now, uh, like art-wise, 
with uh, the Green Lantern, you know, characters as they're drawn nowadays, all the black, you know, on their costumes is like supposed to be non-reflective. What are your thoughts on that as an artistic style? I, I have no thoughts on that at all. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I had noticed. I, have, I haven't seen the book in quite some time. Gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Uh, next question. Uh, with the character of Nort, mm-hmm. he's usually, you know, typically portrayed as kind of like comic relief, but right. like you kind of wrote him a lot more serious. What was the, the reason behind that? Again, um, we live in a world in which people are constantly taking sort of goofy comic book characters and doing them as, uh, as edgy and dark, a phrase that I find occasionally ridiculous. So I thought I'd do the same thing with Nort and see how it worked. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's 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 cool. That's, <laughs> that's I never even thought of that. Hmm. Uh, the concept of the the Tormox that went after the Valdarians did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember if that was in the comic. Did you come up with that? Yes. Yeah. Just uh, another race to wipe out the Valdarians. Yes. Nice. I mean, the Tormax were there, but I, I but I but I think they, they were more minor than I played them. Gotcha. Okay. Now, what was it like drawing, like, the uh, the bar that Guy, you know, had? Well, again, I, I felt that no one had ever portrayed warriors in a way that, that felt like a real bar to me. And what I wanted to do was do a, you know, the, the equivalent of the Hard Rock Cafe or, or Planet Hollywood for superheroes. And for superhero people who, you know, for, for you know, superhero groupies. And, um, and I had some fun with that as well. Yeah, that yeah, it's definitely evident. You could like trying to pick out all the little, you know, character homages in there mm-hmm. is, is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. That's very kind. In the uh, the second issue, there's a scene where like all of the hatred in the uh, the sector kind of like becomes sentient and becomes mm-hmm. this giant like red energy creature. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, like as far as the story is going right now. Like that would seem to play right into what Jeff Johns is doing with the emotions and the different well, color no points. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, me, for me, that was an homage to Cordwainer Smith. Uh, yeah. Cordwainer Smith is probably my favorite, all-time favorite science fiction writer. Do you know his work? I not off the top of my head. Wow. Okay. Well, you should. And I'll, you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> I'll have um, to look into this, it now. What's that? I'll have to look into it now. Um, Smith was a was a an, a really an evolutionary and revolutionary thinker in his time, and did some amazing stuff. And uh, to a profound degree, he, I mean, whenever I do science fiction, I always see elements of of Cordwainer Smith showing up in the, in, in in reference. So uh, yeah, so it just he he did a he did a story called uh, the Game of Rat and Dragon in which it's discovered that the very tissue of space is a living entity and that it drives men mad. And in that regard, they discover that, that, that men perceive that, that tissue as a dragon and it drives them insane, whereas cats perceive it as a rat. And cat, since cats' nervous centers are such that they're, 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 their reflex is so much faster than ours, they, they, become, the, they become weaponized. And it's just it's just brilliant cockeyed stuff. Oh, wow. Um, most most great science fiction writers of of, the, of my generation acknowledge Cordwainer Smith as a as an enormous source of influence. <laughs> so then, 
just complete coincidence that this like rage entity created in your story would like fit completely into what Jeff Johns is doing now. Why a coincidence? I'm assuming Jeff saw it and used it. Oh well, there you go. That's I mean, that's definitely what it is was, then. Was was he doing that with, with with the material before I did it? Well, technically, no, not with the the rage. No. Uh, what's that? Not with the rage, not at all. No. Oh, maybe, maybe that's where he got it from. Uh, interesting. That's that's definitely something to think about. You know, if, if like if, if someone does something before someone else does it, and it shows up in the someone else's work after the fact, it's not a coincidence. It's someone being using the material that's been laid out, and, that, and that's perfectly fine. That's cool. I, I guess I don't know. Okay, that's basically all the questions I have for you. I, you know, Thank you very much. I just recently reread it, and it was, you know, it's actually really cool. I like it a lot. Thank you. That's very kind. I'm most grateful. Do you have anything that you would like to promote? Um, no, not really. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got my Dominic Fortune series coming out for Marvel right now. Um, I'm really having a great time. I'm, I'm, I'm delighted with that. It's looking really good. Um, I finished the book, and the, I think the, the second issue should be out any day now. Um, and that's about it. I've got other things in, in, in the hopper, but I also my clients prefer to be the ones who who, who announce material, which I respect. Right. So um, I don't I don't jump the gun on material I'm working on until my client does it first. Hmm. So uh, that that's where I'm at. But uh, thanks so much for your attention. Thank you very much. And have a great day. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye now. Hello. Wait, uh, Lauren is signaling me. She's, like, giving sign language. I think she wants to walk across the street, buy a baby, and stick it in the refrigerator? <laughs> this is staying in. Walking. I want to walk. Dishing out something. You're holding like it's like I'm holding a baby. Put it holding a baby. (laughs) Holding a baby. Put it in the refrigerator. (laughs) You want to eat the baby too? Oh god. These are her maternal instincts kicking in. Yeah. Button. No, no, please don't. Can I have buttons? No. I like, I want to push the button. No buttons. Buttons! Tell, tell Lauren we're keeping this part in. <laughs> Close! I want to go to Staffordshire. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did you get care set? No. Okay, let me finish up. I'm almost done. Okay. Yeah, you having a dinner party? <laughs> <laughs> okay, see you in a couple. Okay, um, okay, well, uh, like you were saying, um, (laughs) check your fridge later, just, yeah, really, just make sure, (laughs) like you were saying, um, it's right by the, uh, Okay, now joining us for this next segment, we have Chad Bokelman, the man single-handedly responsible for
for spearheading the project to get a documentary going for Green Lantern. How's it going, Chad? Good. How are you guys? Doing good. Yep, pretty good. So, Chad, why don't you tell us, like, why you decided to do this? Pretty much, uh, I heard that the uh, first flight DVD was coming out, and uh, just from all the other superhero movies and animated movies and stuff I have, special disc and whatnot, I figured there was going to be uh, a documentary in the special features, and being a big Green Lantern fan, I figured, I mean, this is awesome, I, I'm trying to, kind of sick of having to tell people the whole backstory, because it's quite a long backstory, and, you know, I'd like to be able to show my girlfriend and my friends, you know, a documentary or something that can probably more interestingly explain it than I could. Um, but uh, when it came out, it wasn't a documentary, uh, and I was kind of disappointed, uh, especially considering, like, DVD seasons like Smallville had character documentaries for their characters and stuff, but nothing for Green Lantern. So uh, I started a group on Facebook. I uh, just kind of upset about it, and uh, I called DC and talked to Dan Deal or however you say his last name, and uh, he, you know, he was kind of, uh, he was nice about it, but he just t- kind of told me to t- contact Warner, and I haven't heard anything back from Warner, so I uh, went ahead and took it upon myself to try and find the individual people responsible for writing and penciling and all that uh, in the Green Lantern history, basically. And you've got quite like quite a good list of some pretty impressive names already. Yeah, yeah, I've got uh, Denny O'Neill, uh, Neil Adams, Ron Mars, and uh, Jed Winnick, and uh, still waiting on a couple of other people. But uh, they've all pretty much said uh, I've actually actually got to talk to Denny O'Neill on the phone for about twenty thirty minutes um, a few weeks ago, and he he was uh, excited about the idea. Actually, gave him some more numbers to call. We talked about the Star Trek movie and the the new uh, live-action movie and what I thought about Ryan Reynolds and whatnot. And he just told me that if the project ever gets off the ground, whether it's myself or DC and Warner that does it, that uh, he's more than willing to help out, and so did everyone else. Hey, this is this is slightly off-topic, but what does Denny O'Neill think of Ryan Reynolds playing Green Lantern? <laughs> he actually, he's uh, pretty excited about it. He's, I mean, as excited as Denny O'Neill can sound, uh, he was uh, just... He said he was uh, physically the right part, and uh, he thinks uh, that he would make a good Hal Jordan. Um, I've heard some talk online myself that they didn't think he would be a good uh, Hal Jordan, but uh, I think he's I think he's got it, and uh, so does O'Neill apparently. So I guess so far you've got one legend down saying it's gonna be a good movie. Definitely, cool. yeah, that works. Now, you you said you talked to Dan DiDio, and he couldn't help you add too much. Probably because it is more along the uh, the entertainment aspects as opposed to uh, the comic, right? Um, and you haven't gotten much uh, much back in the way of Warner Brothers at all, right? Actually, nothing at all. I just kind of got one of those uh, automatic responses saying your email has been sent to whatever group, and heard nothing back. Right. So, this an option has been kind of like bandied about as far as like. What if uh, what if you take on the project of making the documentary? Right. Uh, that a couple of people suggested that to me. Uh, Dan said that as well, and uh, we were talking on Facebook. And actually, um, 
at the time, I didn't think it was too great of an idea just because I don't have that background in particular. But uh, the more I think about it, the more it becomes a cool idea. You know, you uh, have a lot of people involved in that. Uh, I talked to Jason, y'all's program director, and he told me that, uh, you know, look around like uh, around the local film schools and stuff and see if they would be interested. And, you know, that's that's an idea I hadn't really seriously considered before because you know just like everybody else i have a job and i got bills to pay so uh but it's actually growing on me i think it'd be really cool uh to i, I want to be a, uh, a full-fledged journalist you know my involvement with the project besides getting it started on the ground would be hopefully to interview the people themselves and uh contribute in that way and hand the creative part of it over to people who are more creative than me and uh I think that might be a pretty good idea, at least, you know, in one way I get to somehow contribute to the idea. Yeah, and one one question that comes up is, you know, if and when this live-action movie does go through and when that does come to DVD, will they be doing one of these themselves for that? But, at, you know, at the same time, something like this can take so long to put together that... You know, you could still be working on yours, and if it if one doesn't materialize, you can still like be going ahead with your own project in your own time frame. Right. I, I actually my line of thought on that. I thought you know uh, obviously I heard that it might come out for the Green Lantern movie when it comes out in 2011 and then DVD. But uh, I figured, I mean, they did one for like even the Wonder Woman animation movie. There are actually two documentaries on that special edition DVD. And I figured if they didn't do it for first flight, maybe either they were waiting for the big release or they just didn't want to do it because there was so much other stuff to do, like, uh, I guess, last night. Or they didn't, I don't know what they had in mind, but I just didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything back. No one told me in my emails to DC that or Warner that they had planned on doing it, so I just figured... I'll run with it, and if it happens on their on their end without my involvement, at least it happens. You know, the goal is accomplished either way. Now, as far as the documentary itself goes, like in your mind, like how long would the perfect documentary be? Uh, <laughs> I think it might be something like the uh, that uh, Superman documentary. Uh, pretty long. I mean, I know the Superman documentary is actually long because of the history of Superman to begin with and all the different medias he's been involved in. But considering you have the core to work with and therefore the Guardians and pretty much the beginning of the universe, uh, <laughs> it's got to be pretty long to hold all the history, uh, but not too long so you can keep people's interest and stuff. Well, I mean, like, you know, if that's if that's what your your, you know, your ideal, you know, goal would be, like, you know, I would view Warner Brothers, if they're going to make one, then I, I would picture it being something along the lines of, like, you know, maybe ten minutes, maybe a half hour, or something like that, and just kind of, like, summing up the major points of Green Lantern. I mean, like, mm-hmm. what, what you propose, you know, could really be, like, a feature-length documentary that, you know, people will go and seek out and see all these interviews and conversations with the creators and just like you know, all of the rich history of Green Lantern, I I really think that you should do it by yourself now. I would love to if I had the time and the resources, but right now it's just kind of 
the the idea and just try to get it off the ground. I mean, I started the group on Facebook, and I don't uh, keep in touch too often with the people in the group, but uh, it's, I haven't heard anything back from the people who have joined the group, so I don't know if any of them have sent letters or just kind of said, hey, this is a cool idea, let me join the group. But, uh, you know, if there's anybody out there willing to help and call them and do their own calls and whatever, that'd be cool, too. I mean, I'm always looking for help, especially, I mean, you guys doing the interview in the first place is, is yet another step. So Yeah, and and, and uh, you threw it, this out to the forum looking for people to help contribute. But, you know, frankly, Jim and I both know there's a lot more people that listen to us than participate on our forum, so... You know, if you're listening to this right now and you have any, you know, background or skill with this kind of medium, or if you have like a friend of a friend's uncle who is somebody connected to a creator, you know, find Chad on Facebook or give give him an email or, or find him on the forum or something, and you know, see if you guys can work out something. I don't mind my email address on there, but it's all right. Uh, it's a uh, cage gnarly. At uh, yahoo.com, c a g e n a r l e i g h at yahoo.com. More willing to hear from anybody willing to help. And uh, yeah, if if anybody has any, I guess uh, you know, filming experience or you know knows how to take video or has a camera or something that uh, wants to help out in that area too, I'm sure would be awesome as well, right? Anything really. Um. I'm jack of all trades, master of none, and one of my <laughs> trades actually isn't really filming or anything like that. It's it's definitely a a, a great idea. It's it's a great project. You know the, the the scope of it is you know just something that we can all appreciate, and you know like hopefully you you have like you know a lot of success with this because this is something that a lot of people can get a lot out of. I hope so. <laughs> okay, now, speaking of Eric Robertson, my friend who is actually a pretty big Green Lantern fan now, he is going to be joining us on the phone as well. Eric, <laughs> Eric, you got any topics that you want to bring up Green Lantern related? Since you mentioned it, um, I have been reading the, uh, I've been trying to catch up with the backstory of what's been going on so far, so... I've been relying on you guys to read the actual magazines for me because I uh, lost all my money in some kind of pyramid scheme, so I didn't have the money to actually buy it. So what I've been doing, I've been squatting in bookstores and reading the back issues of Green Lantern, and also because of Blackest Night, I've been reading the Marvel Zombies too because I figured how much different can it be. And uh, I don't know the answer to that because I've been reading the Blackest Night ones yet. But I did read last week Emerald Twilight, which was uh, Mars, right? Ron Mars wrote yes. that? Yep, right. Yep. And uh, Emerald Twilight and the origin of Kyle Rayner as the Green Lantern. And then right after that, like literally I had that book in my hand, I shut down on the table so that the uh, the poor employee could, you know, clean up my mess. And I picked up the next one, which was uh, Rage of the Red Lanterns. And... I have been catching up very slowly but surely since uh, Jeff Johns took over the series. And that's about where I am right now. And I have to say, having read Twi Emerald Twilight and the uh, Kyle Rayner origin story, um, and then read the Red Lanterns back-to-back -back like that, 
I have to admit that I'm really awestruck at how uh, how awesome Jeff Johns must be to have turned that crap into something that's actually readable. Um, that's harsh. Well, you know, Ron Mars can uh, get my address off the internet and uh, and get back to me on that. But uh, I'll mail you a taco. You, yeah, he, I'll mail him a taco too. Now, actually, I'll get him like a burrito with like sour cream and leave it out in the sun for a while, and then I'll mail it to him. No, I'm joking, but um, this is a big trend comics-wide the last, like, uh, I guess, 10 or 20 years or so, where it's just been steadily improving, especially since, I think, around 2002, just the amount of talent has seemed to have gone up. Either that or the writers have uh, taken their audiences more seriously or perhaps the audience has grown up. I don't know exactly what it is or why it is, and I don't really care. All I know is that it's kind of like TV. You have uh, the best TV that's ever been made right next to the worst crap ever. And comic books are kind of the same thing. You just really find some junk out there. But uh, industry-wide, I mean, the best of the best is better than it ever has been, I think. And so, uh, you know, it must have been hard to be Ron Mars, and he's trying to come up with, new things to do for a character that's been around for how many decades? Like, uh, at that point, this is the early 90s, mid-90s. Yeah. That had been like, what, 50, 60 years, right? Yeah, since since 1940. Yeah. You can't innovate on a character that's been around that long, more or less. I mean, I know that there's uh, Alan Scott and Hal Jordan and, you know, there are differences. But, you know, you're talking about the same basic character that's been around for the better part of... Uh, half a century at that point, and you're trying to bring innovation to that, and a lot of comics suffer from the same problem. Um, like, I don't know, anybody remember, like, Captain America wearing an Iron Man suit? Or yes. Anything like that? Didn't yeah, they, like, and, break his uh, spine or something? <laughs> that was Batman. That was Batman that broke his spine, and then there was uh, the Bruce Wayne fugitive thing, which wasn't too long ago, but... Uh, I mean, I mean, there's just all these stories that you know you're just looking at it in a trade paperback, and you're scratching your head like a monkey doing a math problem, going, "What the hell inspired these people to write these stories? And then why would they publish it, and then republish it in the form of a trade paperback?" Um, but Jeff Johns, before he did Green Lantern, he had uh, revitalized the Flash, if I recall correctly. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he was on the Flash for a while. I think that was his. It might have been his second real DC work, because he started on Stars and Stripes, but I think he moved to Flash pretty quickly. Well, you know, he's an exceptionally talented writer, and you could tell just by reading everything from uh, Rebirth to, you know, where you're, where I'm at right now, which is, uh, which is Rage of the Red Lanterns. I mean, you could tell that all the way through Sinestro Corps, all the way up to this point, and I'm really looking forward to reading everything between... Rage of the Red Lanterns, and now, so that means I guess I got to read Secret Origins and uh, and uh, the Agent Orange thing, and, and then Blackest Night. But this has all been very clearly planned out. It's just like uh, I don't know if you ever watched uh, Star Trek at all, either one of you, but um, or Babylon Five, but Deep Space Nine and and uh, Babylon Five were both written out multi-year story arcs before one episode was even shot. You know, so you had a lot of detail in the first seasons that had implications um, in the last season, and this is written the same way. When you're going back and reading it, 
Jeff Johns knew what he was writing before he even set pen to paper, before any one frame ever got drawn. And the level of detail was so intricate. And and he had to uh, go back and rehab the character of Hal Jordan, which had been thoroughly trashed before they brought in Kyle Rayner, you know? Yeah. And uh, let's see. Dan, just uh, get off subject for a second. I'm going to get back to where I was going. Um, you said you wanted a blue core, but you got in the indigo, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, then I know I know uh, Jim wants a green and a blue ring because he just can't stand. I mean, I mean do you want to be Ion too, Jim? Would you like to be Ion as well as having a blue and green ring? Are you sure? I'd be down with that. Just give him orange. Like, he wants everything. <laughs> and like like a Daxamite, Daxamite heritage too. Would you like that too? <laughs> now nah, I'll pass on that. I don't want a weakness to lead. Would you like to okay. pee fire? Would you? <laughs> <laughs> to fire all over somebody's lawn. Um, <laughs> no, like, uh, whenever we had these conversations before, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll take yellow or orange, you know? Um, I guess I had a green day today because I haven't had, like, cigarettes in, like, three or four days. So, <laughs> you know, I'm feeling the willpower. But, uh, yeah, like, I was thinking yellow, right? Yellow. Basically, because I, I think I'm really sympathizing more and more with Sinestro, and it's not just because he's uh, been written really well by Jeff Johns, and he's obviously playing a big role in this huge thing, um, as far as Blackest Night goes, which has implications across the whole DC universe. But having read the origin of uh, of Kyle Rayner, I have to say that uh, that's about the the latest story I've ever heard, and. Uh, you know, he's had to overcome a lot, too. Like, they had to develop that character from, like, less than nothing from the plot line. He's just, like, there's some guy stumbles out of a bar one day, and the last the last guardian says, uh, here's, here's a ring. Uh, take this. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to use it. You figure it out. And that's what he has to do. And he, he proceeds to do that, and suddenly his, his ring, for some reason, doesn't work against yellow. And, I mean, all this was later on explained, but Jeff Johns took all these loose ends of all these what-the-hell moments and made them into a coherent plot line. It might have taken him years to do it, but he successfully managed to do it. So it really looks like all of this is uh, in continuity. You know, he was able to bring back Hal Jordan, and he's able to, you know, uh, do what he's done with Kyle Rayner and the rest of the Green Lantern Corps. And he's managed to successfully, I think, undo all the damage that had been done to the continuity and then build upon that um, rehab foundation and just make what I think is easily one of the top five story arcs, at least of this decade, you know, if not the top one, you know, cause I, I gotta say I'm really into it and that was uh, never really a huge DC comics guy before. So, you know, I was, uh, was, was like a bigger fan of Marvel for whatever reason. And, uh, and that's one great thing about Jeff Johns in terms of continuity is like, like he he'll retcon stuff in, but he won't take out anything because his whole I think his big deal is like, well, this stuff is so awesome already. Why do we need to overwrite anything? Let's just shine a flashlight on why it's so cool. Second, this is a, this is the coolest thing ever. I want you to tell me what you just said right now, man. Do you have-
I'm drunk and I'm giving out free candy bars. This guy is drunk and he's giving out free candy bars. What did I just tell you about strangers? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Does he have a van? Like, have, have you got a van, man? I do own a van. He does have a van. What's your name? Oh, my God. Matthew. No, right now you're being recorded, or at least I'm being recorded. By a police officer? Not by a police officer, no. Um, if, if you're concerned about that, though, I, I wouldn't go offering uh, candy to strangers. Are you but, a police uh, officer? No, no, I'm not a police officer. Can I get this to you? And I, I really don't need a Snickers bar right now because uh, I'm about to go get something else besides that. Thanks for the offer, though, man. And, uh, Appreciate it. I'd rather. Oh uh, yeah. Cool. All right. Go That'd be sweet, man. I could like come. I could get it and sell it to you. Yeah. Yeah, I could oh, do that. Had to go get, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Lucky man. All right, man. Have a good night. All right, I'd, uh... I mean, what, what does a drunk man ever come up to you saying I got free candy? I mean, that's a that's a golden. Moment. You know what? This and not only that, but we were having a conversation and we're actually recording for a podcast with literally hundreds of listeners, so you've helped brighten the day or evening for hundreds of people just now. I could be stupid every day. You got a job for me? Um, I'm afraid not, man. Sorry. Have a good night. You too. <laughs> that was bizarre. So that, where, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> so I was in front of a, a bus by, and, and literally a stranger walked up to me with a beer in one hand and a Snickers bar in the other and offered me candy. <laughs> oh my I'm really God. hoping that up, but you know the part where he says the uh, p word, you yeah. just go ahead and you know yeah. do that number. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to edit that a bit. Yeah, so um, I mean, for no other reason, you probably would have to bring uh, bring his side of the volume up, you know. Yeah. But. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry to so rudely interrupt you, Dan, but that was just too awesome to uh, let go. So that was far better than anything I could have said. Don't worry about that. Uh, what were you saying about Jeff Johns rehabbing, uh, rehabbing things? No, I was just, I was just making the point that like he, like he understands why these characters are so cool. So he won't take out anything, but he'll add in stuff in addition to it that'll kind of shine a flashlight on what makes them so awesome. <laughs> okay, starting over in three, two, one. We should probably pick who's going to start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We Uh, this this is as professional as it's gonna be for like the first month or two. <laughs> oh my god, this is gonna be the best. Uh, okay. Uh, um, do you want to start uh, or should I? Yeah, yeah. I'll intro- I'll introduce myself. You introduce yourself, and then hopefully we'll sync up perfectly and say, "And this is the Lantern Cast." Does that sound good? Sure, it probably won't work, but all right. This sounds totally horrible. This sounds lame. Yes. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, right now we have four minutes of stuff that we'll never use. This is the stuff that'll make the blooper reel. This is DVD extras right here. <laughs> we'll have commentary. Oh, 
Get your girlfriend to do commentary on this after the fact. You have to do commentary on this after the fact. Oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> it's like, and this is where they're totally retarded talking about. <laughs> Who the f- is episode zero? Episode zero is a good idea. Why? Explain how that is possibly a good idea. Who has episode zero? What do you think this is? Like a f- pilot for NBC? This is your pilot episode to see. Tell her, tell her it's a gimmick that will get more people to buy it for free. You would. This is a gimmick that will get more people to buy it for free. <laughs> oh my God. You know, as I was saying that, I realized what you had said. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, on the count of three, well, no, on the count of one, I'm going to start from three and go down to one. <laughs> We're going to be able to pinpoint from this recording the moment she decides to leave. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. This is the best idea I ever had. <laughs> okay, so... If you want to email us, you can email us at lanterncast at gmail.com. We all have our own individual emails as well. Jim, Dan, or Jason at lanterncast.com. Jason being our program director. You can go to our website, lanterncast.com. There we have links to our forum and also our Facebook page. So friend us on Facebook and join up to the forum so you can take part in a lot of really, really awesome discussion. Like, lately, it's it's actually been, like, pretty much exploding. A lot, a lot of people have been posting. So, it's 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 fun. It's like a lantern party. Green Lantern Party. Our voicemail line, if you'd like to drop us a line, is 206-600-7357. You can find us on iTunes, and you can leave us a review there. That's always awesome. So... Send us an email, leave us a voicemail, write us a review, friend us on Facebook, and join up with the forums, and that's about it. Yeah.